Welcome to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. For free rankings, player values, waiver wire tips, and trade advice, follow him online at dynastyfreaks.com or email dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. Hello and greetings from Austin, Texas. Welcome all of you Dynasty Freaks. Admit it, you're addicted to Dynasty. I am too. My name is Justin Christopher and I am a Dynasty Freak, which means I love the NFL and I watch every game every week and I love drafting, trading, scouting, managing all of my teams 365 days a year. So do you. So let's talk some Dynasty. Here's what we have in store today on episode number 82 of the Dynasty Freaks podcast. We're going to talk free agency. Of course, the NFL year officially started last Wednesday, and free agent moves were fast and furious in the first few days. And there were also some blockbuster trades that went down, so pretty fun. Free agency, of course, and the NFL draft are the two most significant turning points in the offseason that cause players' dynasty value to rise or fall. Uh, You can see kind of ramifications for all different players on those teams and the teams that they left. Values change quite a bit at free agency, and then, of course, they do the same after the NFL draft. So here's kind of like one of our first turning points. I've been adjusting my rankings, you know, throughout the whole offseason, but it's usually just kind of mild little changes here and there, but certainly after free agency. Yesterday I did a complete sweep of all of my rankings because players' values did change quite a bit based on some of these moves. So let's jump into them. We'll talk about some of the players you've already signed, mostly the big ones. There's a few smaller free agent moves that we won't talk about, but we'll cover all the big ones here. First, of course, is Tom Brady. Tom Brady signed with Tampa Bay, where he'll play with the best group of wide receivers that he's had since his Randy Moss days. Uh, This signing doesn't move the needle for me much on Brady's value, given he's going to be 43 years old when he plays this year. He's definitely the oldest player, I think, on a dynasty roster in history, right? I can't think of anyone that's 43 that's actually been on a dynasty roster before. It's hard to believe that Brady's average depth of target is suddenly going to rise after years of throwing short passes in New England, so this kind of confuses me. Unless Tampa Bay, of course, changes um, their scheme to fit Brady's skill set. And I think this is going to bring Godwin's value. will kind of remain about the same since he runs a lot of the shorter routes um, in the Arian system. And maybe Evans will have a slight downgrade. Unless, of course, they change the system. This one's just kind of a big question mark for me. Um, I think that on O.J. Howard front, I'd probably move him up just a few spots but not a whole lot since Arians doesn't use the tight ends well enough, but Brady certainly has. So it's, again, these are just kind of conflicting schemes and conflicting ideas of how we've seen Arians' system and then Brady's play play. So everything really depends on if Arians going to adjust his offense to Brady's style of play. Unless Brady has way more in his arsenal than we think. Maybe New England's offense was actually bringing him down and, and Brady still has the arm and capabilities that he had when he was younger. So I'm not really sure. What to think about this one? I hate to start it off on a note like that, but I'm pretty much leaving everyone right about the same. Uh, Maybe moving uh, Evans just a little bit down and Howard a little bit up, but Brady and Godwin stay the same. The players, of course, most radically affected by this move are Julian Edelman and Jameis Winston, whose dynasty values plummeted after this signing. They are moving way down. Jameis Winston, unbelievable, and he might not actually be on a team uh, as a starting quarterback next year. Next, we move on to Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill signed his deal, keeping him with the Titans, where he had, of course, the breakout at the end of the 2019 season. Uh, This signing provided the team the continuity after their strong playoff run last year. While while I don't think that Tannehill can be as efficient as he was last year, I do think that he can remain kind of a streamable dynasty quarterback, and his value, I think, will stay right about the same for me. As for his weapons, Corey Davis, he was kind of already a fading asset and doesn't seem to do much with this signing to help his falling value. 
A.J. Brown, however, holds the same high value as he continued to rise throughout the season last year after Tannehill became the starter. I think the only value that it really changes a lot for me, because I already had A.J. Brown ranked pretty high and I was already down on Corey Davis, is really tied in Johnny Smith. I think that his value increased this offseason, but it was mostly related to the Titans letting Delaney Walker go rather than Tannehill re-signing. So everyone pretty much stays about the same here, except a big jump to Johnny Smith after Delaney Walker left. Um, that's kind of what you might expect after a re-signing, right? Everyone stays right about the same. Third now, we'll have Philip Rivers. Rivers signed, of course, with Indianapolis, where he is united with several coaches from his long career in San Diego and L.A. Man, this is a tough one for me. Rivers is one of my favorite dynasty quarterbacks of all time. Like, I've had him on multiple of my dynasty teams for years and years. But last year, I think he looked utterly washed up. I'm really skeptical that he's going to be irrelevant in fantasy leagues again. He does like to target his running backs and tight ends, so it should be like a small boost possibly to Marlon Mack if he can prove that he can catch the ball more regularly than he has so far in his career, but definitely a boost to Jack Doyle. I think Jack Doyle has moved up quite a bit after the signing, and of course, similarly to uh, to Johnny Smith that I mentioned, he's moved up largely because they've let Eric Ebron go, whom we'll talk about later. So he's got greater opportunity and a quarterback that t- targets the tight ends and a coach who, of course, still likes the tight ends. As for the receivers, T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, we'll just talk about those two. Uh, They took a dip in their value last year with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, and I think that I'm probably just going to leave them right about the same where I have them ranked. I don't think the river signing, I think while it maybe helps Indianapolis as a football team, I don't think that it really raises the value of any of the assets there um, in Indianapolis, who hopefully will just kind of become a run-first team and keep giving the ball to Marlon Mack and just let Rivers do enough to help them as a team. But it's not really going to rise the tide of any of the other players, except, like I said, perhaps Jack Doyle. Next, of course, Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater signed in Carolina, presumably signing, uh, signaling the end of Cam Newton's days in Carolina. So there you got, you've still got Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, the two best quarterbacks that are out there who've yet to sign with a team. I think Bridgewater's dynasty value rises the most, but it's not because he's so great. It's just because any time someone moves from a backup role to a starting role, they definitely have to rise a lot. So he's got to rise a lot in the rankings just because of that. But I think he's not really going to rise higher than like a back-end quarterback two in my eyes until he proves himself as a starter. Uh, we just haven't seen enough in him of him to, to really prove it. I don't think this increase, increase the value of any of his targets, McCaffrey, Moore, Samuel, or now Ian Thomas at the tight end spot. But it didn't cause their value to fall really either. Um, I think there's some question about his his deep arm, you know, deep ball strength, which some have said that it would really kind of affect the value of of Curtis Samuel. I'm not sure yet. I just think that they're kind of all play real similar roles to what they did, largely because we already saw how each of them could perform with backups last year with Kyle Allen and others that were filling in as backups. So we've seen what they can do with less than great quarterback play. I don't think that Bridgewater is going to to really bring them way up, but he's also not going to bring them down from what we've already seen. So I consider all of those assets there in Carolina kind of holding their value and Bridgewater himself being the one that rises the highest, largely because now he's a starting quarterback. Possibly another starting quarterback is the next player we'll talk about, which is Nick Foles. Foles is signed to complete, uh, signed to compete with Mitch Trubisky for the starting quarterback job. And honestly, on this one, I don't like either quarterback. I think this is a pretty bad move for the entire Chicago offense. I really would have preferred that they traded for Cam Newton or Andy Dalton. That's what I was hoping would happen there in Chicago. So this move obviously causes Trubisky's value to drop significantly. At the same time, I don't think Foles' value moves up too much. 
until we know that he wins a starting job, some have speculated that it's already his just by the fact that they signed him. But I'm still going to have them ranked pretty closely together with Foles ranked, ranked ahead of Trubisky at this point. But I don't really see either, either of them you know, increasing in great value as the years goes on. As for the running backs and wide receivers in Chicago, Montgomery, Cohen, Robinson, Miller, I think that their value should stay just about the same. But they could have increased in their value if they had signed uh, someone besides Foles, I believe. So I'm going to keep everyone there just about the same. Foles is going to move up a little bit, and he's definitely going to jump Trubisky in my rankings. Moving on now to the running back position, we had Austin Eckler. Eckler is moved uh, is moving on up in my dynasty rankings after signing his long-term deal with Chicago. I mean, with the Chargers, uh, Melvin Gordon, Gordon has signed in Denver, so he's at, definitely out of the picture. Eckler now is the leading running back in Los Angeles, likely to share time with Justin Jackson. I do believe that last year will be the best fantasy year of Eckler's whole career. So that's one thing I have to put a little note here to myself. Like, I think last year is the best year that he would have of his entire career because he caught so many passes from Philip Rivers. And I don't think that Tyrod Taylor, or likely the rookie that they'll draft, will ever check down to Eckler as much as Rivers did. So I think from the just pure PPR standpoint and what Eckler did last year, it was probably the best year of his career. But he's still holding uh, significant value because I think he is going to be the starter there in the Chargers, even if they were to draft someone. Still, um, his, he's you know rising up a little bit just because he's running back 1A, and then we've got Justin Jackson that's going to be running back 1B. I think they're still going to try to split the load like they've done much of the time when Gordon was injured or when Gordon was holding out. Eckler definitely is going to get more of the play, but Justin Jackson, he's the one who's really going to rise in value. Eckler stayed just about the same, and technically I kind of moved him a little bit down because of the Philip Rivers leaving um, compared to where he was at the end of last year. But then Justin Jackson has the most to gain, and he's rising significantly because I think he will share the workload pretty, uh, pretty well with Eckler. Next, the crazy move of Todd Gurley being cut. That was a big shocker, and the Rams cut Gurley after teams apparently didn't make offers to trade for him. They were trying to trade him but couldn't get away with it, so they just had to cut him. And now the Rams are paying for about half of his salary, while his new team Atlanta pays about the other half of his salary. It's pretty wild. I'm really in the minority, I think, on this one, because I believe that Gurley still has a lot left in the tank, and he was just starting to look like his old self by the end of the season last year. I think Atlanta's a perfect landing spot for Gurley after they released Devontae Freeman. He'll fit into the Atlanta offense immediately. I didn't move Gurley up or down in my rankings after the signing. I just thought this was a kind of an equal move for him. The real question um, that this raises is what will the lead running backs in L.A. look like? You know, What are the Rams going to do? Is Malcolm Brown, former UT alum, Hook'em Horns, what, what will he do behind? Yeah, he was kind of seemed like he was the guy that was actually a lead backup behind Gurley last year. But then they had the highly touted rookie Daryl uh, Henderson not do much at all last year, but he was kind of the darling of drafts and rising all the way up to our fantasy, our dynasty drafts last year. But he didn't do much this year. And so I think Henderson's value is probably going to rise the highest and people are going to fade Malcolm Brown. I'm just going to not be surprised if they actually draft another running back this year. And then it's just a really complicated situation. So I've not done much with either of these guys. I've moved Malcolm Brown and Henderson up a little bit. Uh, Henderson more than Brown just because of the potential, but they're still pretty far down in my dynasty rankings overall. Next was the big trade, running back David Johnson being traded to Houston. They took on his massive contracts. Oh, man, our contract, rather. Uh, it's quite another uh, thing to trade uh, Hopkins to do this. Like, I can't believe that they would do something like that. Bill O'Brien has been ripped to shreds over this lopsided trade, as he should be. And uh, Johnson 
really was the player that probably fell the most in the dynasty rankings, at least among the top players last year. From where he was, you know, started the season being drafted in the first round to really, I think I had him ranked number 36 uh, just before I did the re-rankings last night. And so all the way down to 36 as an asset, 36 ranked running back, that is, where before he was a top 12 overall player being drafted. So he fell the furthest among any player last year, arguably, definitely among the uh, top players. Um, as first-year coach, Kingsbury quickly replaced him with uh, as a lead running back in Arizona. Uh, I, th- I just don't think that Coach O'Brien can do so. He'd have more egg on his face if he was not to play Johnson a lot. And so I think Johnson's value has to rise simply because he's been going to be given every opportunity to succeed. So while I still feel like there's questions, marks regarding his talent, you also have to look at Houston and think about like what they did with Carlos Hyde last year, who had really his best year of his career. And I just think that they're going to feed Johnson the ball just as much. Uh, maybe the defense will be able to stack the run a little bit better since, since Newt Hopkins is not there anymore. But I still feel like David Johnson is going to get a lot more action this year than he did the year before. So I think his value has to move up just a bit until he can prove something and even move up further. I feel like this is kind of like, uh, you know, when a player's, we talk about draft capital, when a player's drafted in the first round, they get more chances to succeed. So we love draft capital. It means more opportunity. Well, when you trade, uh, make a trade of this magnitude, I think the same thing is true. This is like draft capital. This is like trade capital. And so given that's the case, that David Johnson, in my opinion, he's got to move up in the rankings higher definitely than 36 where he was ranked prior to the signing. Next running back, we'll stick stick in Arizona here. Is that meanwhile for the first time since uh, he was transition tagged, Drake looks like he's going to stay in Arizona, uh, where he exploded on the scene last year, replacing David Johnson, carrying a lot of our fantasy teams to Super Bowls last year, Super Bowl wins. He was already lined up for the leading role in Arizona, which is why I'd already moved him up to number twenty three in my running back uh, rankings. Um, but that was just before free agency. I just feel like if no team, since there still is time, if no team makes an offer that Arizona's uh, willing, if, if no team makes more, that offers more than Arizona's willing to match, then Drake should really become a top 24 dynasty running back in Arizona. It's a short-term deal, so it looks like they're trying to say that they're going to try to prove it too on this one-year deal. But I feel like uh, Drake has got to stay about where he was at the end of last season, although he was a significant rise from where he was at the start of the season. The one I'm more curious about here that I think that this affects is that, that this signing is a boost in the value of Chase Edmonds, who figures to be the handcuff to Drake. And I really suspect that they're going to share time. I think that this will be a share, you know, probably like a 65-35 or maybe even a 60-40% of the snaps will be shared with Edmonds. And so, in my opinion, Edmonds makes the biggest rise because of this move, where Drake stays about the same because he was already pretty high after performing so well last year. Next running back is Jordan Howard. Uh, This signing was a smart move by Miami, who had no running backs of any dynasty value. None, really none that had any dynasty value. But here's the tricky part about this. We all think this, that odds are that Miami will be drafting a running back given their need and the abundance of picks that they have. So I bet Howard gets stuck in a similar role as he did last year with Philadelphia. When he gets traded to Philadelphia, it looks like he's got a great chance at starting job, but then they draft Miles Sanders. And of course, as the year went on, Howard split time with Sanders, but by the end of the year, Sanders passed him up in the lineup due to injuries and to really performing better. It could happen again this year, but um, I just think that the, the thing that's interesting about Howard is he's still a running back that's surprisingly reliable when he's healthy. Like, he still produces, and, and teams can't get them out of their lineup. And so I feel like uh, he's going to do the same thing for Miami. I think he he holds a, 
a good value that's relatively unaffected by this move, move, and nor does it affect the play other players in Miami. I think it does, however, solidify Miles Sanders as a leading back in Philadelphia, if that wasn't already certain. His value may rise in others' eyes, but I already had uh, Miles Sanders as a top 12 running back because I loved him uh, so much last year. So I already had him as a top 12 running back, so really he's not moving up in my rankings, though he will and many others now that it's clear that it's his job in Philadelphia. Next and last running back is Melvin Gordon. I expect Gordon uh, to be the lead running back in Denver right away, keeping his value about the same in my eyes. I already had him, I think, about right number 15. I uh, already ranked Gordon just outside of my top 12 because he's still very young and he's an outstanding player when he's healthy. I think he's going to keep equal value as he had before uh, signing in Denver, perhaps even moving up a spot or two. But I do think this is the saddest part about this is this radically depresses the value of Philip Lindsay significantly pushes Royce Freeman's value almost off the table now unless he were to get traded to another team. And so this really hurts Philip Lindsay, which kills me because we have locked him up in my reality sports online league. We locked him up to like a four or five year deal and uh, we're paying him a good amount. And now he's buried by Gordon. So all those offseason rumors were true that, that Denver was looking to replace their running back, which was devastating uh, to me personally, given my Lindsay shares. Let's move on out of receivers. Of course, there were a couple huge trades. First was DeAndre Hopkins. This is one of the stupidest trades in NFL history. Houston sent Hopkins to Arizona. So bad. Dynasty owners have uh, never had a problematic relationship with Hopkins, as his NFL coach and GM, Brian, Bill O'Brien, did, right? He's fantasy gold to us who've owned him. He's a top five wide receiver in the eyes of every you know dynasty analyst. And he's, for a long time, he's been my number one ranked wide receiver for a couple years now until this year I finally moved Michael Thomas past him this last year after Thomas played so well I'm just, right now I've just kept Hopkins as my number two receiver after this trade I think he's too good to let changing teams affect him he's just that good of a player and Kyler Murray will love Hopkins um, I, th- I think that his dynasty stock bumps up because of this trade because Kyler Murray, Murray now has an incredible wide receiver to throw to while the opposite is true of Deshaun Watson's value it drops just a little bit, not not significantly, but you, you can't help but drop a quarterback a little bit when they, they lose like a, a complete stud wide receiver like he has. I don't see this trade radically affecting the values of the other wide receivers in Houston, even though they should have more opportunity. I'll move Fuller and Stills up a few spots, but I doubt that either of them can become a true wide receiver one in Houston. Some speculate that they're going to try to draft someone even though they don't have their first round draft pick. As for the Arizona wide receivers, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, I think their dynasty value should hold about where it has been. But second-year players, this is the one that it really hurts, guys that you were kind of holding out hope for, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson, that all the dynasty owners that were holding out hope for them might need to just let that hope die. <laughs> I think um, if I had Keyshawn Johnson or Hakeem Butler, they would be right on the drop list. I do think that Andy Isabella does some things differently than what uh, Hopkins and Kirk can do. And so I want to hold on on Isabella and just see kind of how they might want to use him as a kind of a separate type of player than the other ones. But man, Hakeem Butler and Keyshawn Johnson's uh, values have fallen significantly. Next up is Stefan Diggs. I moved, uh, I'm moving Diggs and dynasty value down after this trade to Buffalo. The Bills uh, may have given up the farm to get him, but I don't believe that they have the kind of scheme or the kind of quarterback to unleash Diggs' dynasty value. Also, I may be alone in this, but I I try to sell diva-wide receivers who demand to be traded or act in ways that hurt their teams. That might be silly and might seem like anecdotal or you're thinking that's not the way you should think as a dynasty owner, but 
I'm sorry, I do. I have a problem with receivers that act like divas and ask to be traded. I've sold OBJ and Antonio Brown off of all my teams in the last couple years, and I've been proven right by the trades that I've made. Um, team, team players like Adam Thielen are the ones that stand to benefit now, and even though he's older, I'm moving Thielen up in my rankings quite a bit. He's going to be the number one there in Minnesota. As for the Buffalo wide receivers, John Bowne and Cole Beasley, I think that they stay about the same, and they're kind of like wide receivers three or maybe like a bi-week injury fill-ins on Buffalo. Uh, good landing spot, great receiver, um, but just not a right situation to help him in his dynasty value. Unlike this next player we talk about, Amari um, Cooper, after re-signing with Dallas, Cooper keeps his value as a top 10 wide receiver, in my opinion. He's still likely to be an up-and-down scorer from week to week like we've seen. He is a frustrating receiver to own, but he's already established a better connection with Dak than he ever has with any other quarterback, and I think that Dallas is going to continue to be a top five scoring offense uh, for the foreseeable future, given all the weapons that they have signed to long-term contracts, assuming, of course, that Dak gets beyond this franchise tag and gets a long-term contract himself. Michael Gallup actually stood the most to gain if Cooper signed elsewhere, so now I think his dynasty value just stays the same rather than taking a big jump that it would have taken had Cooper not been signed. But Cooper stays top 10. Great situation for him. Emmanuel Sanders, next receiver. I think I said last receiver on Cooper, but no, we got one more. Emmanuel Sanders, one of the later guys to sign. Sanders made it clear that he was actually chasing a Super Bowl ring with whatever team he signed with and will most likely uh, be his last contract of his career. Well, if that's what he wanted, he signed with the right team then because signing in New Orleans is a really wise idea if you're really aiming for that Super Bowl this year. He's a sure bet to be the second most targeted wide receiver in New Orleans behind Michael Thomas, but I don't know if he'll get more targets than Kamara, or he probably will have more than Cooks, but they're, they're going to be right there. So I can't really move him up in my rankings given his age and given the wide receivers that he's behind and that the Kamara gets so many targets as well. If I were a win-now dynasty team, however, I'd consider trading for him uh, for this next year. This might be the last year of his production if Drew Brees could lead him to a Super Bowl. Maybe Brees chooses to retire even though he signed a two-year contract. Either way, Samuels is a, uh, or Sanders is a short short-term dynasty asset. But on the other side of this this, uh, transaction was Debo Samuel's value, which really rises in San Francisco because now it becomes even more clear that he is the number one option in their passing game. It already looked like it as the year progressed last year, but now we can say that with a certainty. And I'm on an island on this one. I'm actually on an island hoping that this could clear away for the completely faded value of the ghost of Dante Pettis. So I am still hopeful that he can do something to get back in the right graces of, of his coach, Shanahan, that, that drafted him. I think that I've done this. I've, I'm taking a stand on it. I've made several offers for trading for, for Dante Pettis in some of my deep leagues. And so I think this gives a little window, one more chance for Pettis to do something there. Now let's move to tight ends. We've got a couple here, Austin Hooper. Um, I love Hooper, and I liked his landing spot in Cleveland, but I did have to move him down in my rankings just a bit because I'm not convinced that this part of that, uh, that part of his, I'm convinced that part of his success last year was the well-documented friendship and chemistry that he had with Matt Ryan. I think it's going to take some time to establish that in Cleveland, who, like Atlanta, has plenty of other weapons vying for targets on their team. His big contract indicates that they want him to be the focal point of the offense, so that's, that's a good sign for him. Uh, and maybe their new coach, Kevin Stefanski, will make the tight end more a focal point of their offense after all. But we've really yet to see that. I just think that Hooper's shown enough talent to remain a top 12 tight end, but I had to move him down just a little bit um, after this transaction. 
Next is Hayden Hurst on the opposite end of this. Hurst was on the verge of being removed completely from all of our dynasty rankings. But his move by signing with Atlanta will um, definitely bump him up significantly. Probably one of the highest risers because of this if he's given the starting role. Opportunity alone moves him up in our rankings, but I'm not actually entirely sold on his talent. Given that he couldn't earn a starting role in Baltimore even after being drafted in the first round, I think that, that says a lot. So I'm, I'm moving him up based on his opportunity because he's you know going from being buried in a depth chart to actually you know possibly being the starting tight end for a team. You have to move him up just because of that. But I really feel like he needs to prove it. He wasn't able to do it in Baltimore even though he had the draft capital. So I'm not sure that he's really going to be a target. I'd much rather favor uh, Calvin Ridley, who I think takes a significant bump after um, Austin Hooper left Atlanta for Cleveland. I don't think Hurst is going to be able to be an Austin Hooper on that team. Next, we go to Jimmy Graham. Man, he goes to Chicago, a team that can't quite figure out what to do at the tight end position. I think they have like eight to ten tight ends on their roster right now. It's ridiculous. This transaction does not move the needle for me um, on anyone's dynasty value uh, related to Chicago. If anything, Trey Burton, uh, his hype had already been stifled significantly, so he could move much further down than he already was in the rankings, and Jimmy Ground does, doesn't move up by signing with Chicago instead of playing with Green Bay like he did last year. If I was actually to be to take a speculative move, I would actually uh, think the smarter speculation could be to bet on Demetrius Harris, whom Coach Nagy was familiar with and also picked up this offseason. So among that crowded group of tight ends, I'm not trying to be smart and get some Demetrius Harris, Harris above all the others. Finally, our last tight end to talk about in this free agent frenzy is Eric Ebron. Uh, Ebron is easy, easy to hate. <laughs> Very easy to hate because of his erratic dynasty value since being drafted in the first round by Detroit. He's been up and down like a yo-yo as far as his dynasty value. But Pittsburgh's full of weapons in their passing game, and Big Ben, when he's healthy, he does you know like to go to his tight ends. So I think that this Ebron yo-yo dynasty value rises yet again, in my opinion, this causes Vance McDonald's value to fall quite a bit, and Ebron will move up a little bit, um, but not much from where I had him. But this is a good landing spot for him. I think it means uh, that he will be a part of their offense, be starting, and get every opportunity to catch you know five to ten touchdowns and be a part of the offense again next year. That was a mouthful. Lots of free agents to talk about. It sure is a fun time. I'd encourage you to go to my rankings on the website at dynastyfreaks.com because I have adjusted all the rankings so you can see with your own eyes, how players moved up or down based on these moves that have been made. So that's going to be a wrap for this week, my freaky friends. Thanks so much for listening. Make it a two-way conversation anytime by contacting me at dynastyfreaks.com. That's dynastyfreaks.com with two E's or dynastyfreaks at gmail.com. I'm much better on email than I am on Twitter. So hit me up with an email anytime. I'd be honored if you'd take time to rate and review the podcast and Apple Podcasts. That would mean a lot to me. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your support. I do want to become your most trusted, independent voice in the Dynasty landscape. Until next time, you know what to do. Go out there. Get freaky. Thanks for listening to the Dynasty Freaks podcast with your host, Justin Christopher. We welcome your thoughts and advice. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the podcast or see on the website to help you dominate your league. Justin prides himself in responding to every email, so hit him up anytime at dynastyfreaks at gmail.com and follow him on Twitter at LonghornJustin. Justin.